If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Coming up. Coming up on the financial food fight, the jobs market, the stock market, the Powerball market. We are going to span the globe. Tired of squinting at your phone? Give your eyes a rest and let your ears take over. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, from New York, financial food fight. Welcome to the Food Fight, everybody. Paul Vigna here. Uh, busy holidays. We have not had a food fight since, uh, I think, really before a couple. It's been at least a couple of weeks, so we're glad to get back to it. Paul Vigna, Jack Otter from Barron's, Chuck Jaffe from Market Watch, and sitting on my right here in the studio, a man who old-time listeners of the podcast will remember, now a head of the tape columnist, Stephen Russolillo. Mr. Russolillo? Thanks for having me Good back. to have you back in the yeah, studio. It's been a while. All right, gentlemen, uh, as always, here are your topics as chosen for us by Twitter Moments. We could talk about uh, how to lose a friend in three words. Anybody? In, any? Hmm. Hmm? Maybe, maybe. Uh, ten tweets you need to see. We've got to go that's, there. That's how we might have to go there. Or uh, here's one. Uh, you get a job, and you get a job, and you get a job, and you get a job. And apparently 292,000 people heard that last <laughs> month. Not bad, right? Not not bad. So the jobs report this morning comes out 292,000, well above expectations. Uh, interesting reaction in the markets in, in what has been just an insane week for the markets. Yeah, I don't think that the jobs were front and center. I think it's still China, China, global, global, slowdown, right. deflation, right. whatever. Uh, jobs, schmobs. Uh, you know, the thing you didn't hear last week or last month, you've got a raise. Right. Uh, that's what that that was the one thing I didn't like about this report. Yeah, you know it's really interesting because uh, I went through it and I looked at sectors that were hiring, the big sectors that were hiring, and then I went to some of the tables and saw what they were paying. And you know, not nothing shocking here, but what you see is people in management getting you know roughly maybe a two and a half percent raise, non supervisory workers getting about a two percent wage raise, and all of that is before inflation. Those are not. Those are just not strong numbers. And and part of the thing with this oil crash, those those are well paying jobs. I mean, it right. might not be a lot of fun, but spending spend eight months out on a rig yes. and you come home with one hundred and twenty grand and no expenses. You know, right, right. And those jobs are disappearing. Yeah, drying up faster than the wells. <laughs> but here's the thing with wage growth, though: is we haven't seen real wage growth in years or decades. No, right. right. I mean, so I I know it's getting a lot of attention now. And I know that when people are looking at the job support, they're saying, OK, headline numbers look good. Unemployment rate, 5%. We're getting closer to full employment. Uh, but wage growth, still not seeing wage growth. But we haven't seen wage growth for such a long time now. Why is it such a focus right now? Politics. But, but, well, because, po we're about, because we're about to see inflation again. We haven't seen wage growth for a period of time, but we really haven't seen any inflation. Right. Now with the Fed raising rates, et cetera, you can look forward and say, okay, maybe we'll see some inflation come back. And if you have inflation without wage growth, then you have a bigger problem. Right. And, and but look, do you really believe inflation is coming back? Yes and no. I think it's very situational right now. You know, if you look at the way inflation, the rate of inflation is, is calculated, basically there are like seven different categories that go into it. 
and it sort of depends on how you spend, how inflation is in your house. If you are an older American where you spend more than the 14% that is expected on health care and you spend less than the 33% roughly that is on home expenses, which makes sense because you like own your home, et cetera, and you're right. old, aging and you might have more likely to be sick and whatever, you've got inflation in your house regardless of what the stats say. So right now inflation is held in check because of what's happening with oil prices, but if you're like me and you don't drive a lot, and that's not the determining factor in whether there's inflation in your house. And to me, the whole thing about wages and the reason it's been important for so long, the reason why I think it's still important, I think it perfectly illustrates – it is the perfect sort of outcome illustration of, of the of a gr- economy that is not really growing. Employers are – everyone talks about, you know uh, – inflation pushed through and wages are going to have to rise. Employers are going to have to offer more money to workers. No, no, they're not. It has not happened and it is not going to happen. There is still a, a lack of demand. There is a lack of buying power. There is a lack of any kind of engine to this economy that is going to push it forward and create a better situation for workers. And I think part of that is because we are still obsessed with uh, a, a, a debt-fueled, stimulus-driven economy that isn't really growing on its own, and nobody has a good idea of how to change that. And I think when you – and again, you know, the market wants to know these things ahead of time, right? They don't want to wait to see it in the wage numbers, but I want to see it in the wage numbers. When you see it in the wage numbers, you'll know that the economy is really going somewhere. And until then, in my opinion, the economy is not really going somewhere, and we've got a big problem on our hands. Of course, this is all very closely intertwined and connected. So the fact that wages aren't going up is actually good news for inflation because it is the single biggest input into inflation. So I I hope Chuck is wrong that we don't get inflation without wage growth and to at least one extent he will be but but of course he's totally right that it depends on what you spend your money on if if you pay tuition as i do uh you see a lot of inflation oh yeah um, but yes. another thing is you know the world college is, tuition exactly well, not for yourself case, Jack. Yeah, no right? no um i got my ged you know a few years ago um <laughs> The world is awash in cheap inputs, so gasoline is plummeting, the dollar is expensive, but um, but everything else is cheap, and so it's all there, but it's not being used for capital expenditures and actually real growth. It's just everybody kind of muddling along, and amazingly, you know, our 2% growth is actually the world beater right now. Right, right. Hey, you know, let's do this. Uh, we're going to talk a little longer, but let's, let's take a break right now. And on the other side of the break, let's talk you know, a little bit about the markets and a little bit about that crazy Powerball that everybody is going to be going out and buying a, a ticket for. Spend lots of time on your device? Then spend some of that time with us. WSJ Podcasts, the sound of success. Now, from New York, Financial Food Fight. Welcome back to the Food Fight. Paul Vigna, Steve Russolillo, Jack Otter, and Chuck Jaffe joining us from up in Boston. And, I, you know, look, if, if you are following this podcast, I certainly don't have to tell you what the top story in the market was this week. Uh, but I think even if you're not a financial junkie, there was no way to avoid the disaster that was the first week in the capital markets globally, everywhere, not just here in the U.S., but everywhere. Uh, is is this something new? Is this a continuation? Should we be worried? Uh, what is what does this mean? What do these five terrible trading days mean? Well, at least Anything. four terrible trading days, right? Well, yeah. I'm I'm assuming that you know th- I know we're taping this midday Friday, but I'm assuming <laughs> it's over. 
Um, well, worst ever, right? That's a fun little statistic. Right. Worst being of the year ever. Worst first week. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, you yeah. gotta you've gotta warn people if if anybody is out there worried about it, not to take rash action because we have no idea what it means. We can theorize. I can mm-hmm. offer you some theories. I'm sure everybody's got one. But you know, don't go sell all the stocks in your 401k because if you do, the market will go up, and if you don't, the market will go down. Uh, but but people should. It is a conti- very much a continuation of of what was happening before. And yeah. I, to me, the biggest single culprit is that the world's second largest economy is, has extraordinarily immature capital markets. You know, it does. one day it's a communist country and they try to control the markets right. and they realize that doesn't work. And then they open up again and it's, it, they're immature investors, frankly. It's mostly um, retail investing right. that's moving right. this. And so they understand they don't know what to do, so they sell. And then when you tell them they can't sell, they don't sit at home and think, oh, maybe I'll buy instead. No, as soon as you open the floodgates, they, they sell some more. Yeah. And so that's causing a lot of problems, not to mention the fact that their country isn't growing as it has been for recent decades. Right. But, you know, i got to give China a little bit of credit here for taking that circuit breaker off, for, for removing that. I mean, that's you can look at it one of two ways. You can look at it, uh, you know, glass half empty look saying, oh, this is a very, very immature market. They're just reacting to the headlines or whatever. But I think, you know, reacting in relative real time here, realizing that this is an issue and and making that move not such a bad call right there at that moment because who knows what would have happened if if they kept it kept the status right. quo well and certainly the the market verdict agrees with you because right. china's the shanghai was up on friday mm-hmm. you know so they made here, a mistake and learned from it. That, that's a good sign. Right, yeah. right. But the thing with China, though, this story, this story is not going away anytime soon. And you know, you saw it over the summer with the big August correction. Uh, markets bounced right back. But to get back to your point, though, yeah, just because you, you're going to see the headlines where it says this is the worst week ever to start a year, uh, certainly not a reason to just outright panic. And that's what what a lot of the journals reporting and Barons and Dow Jones reporting has shown is that you know a, very few people are panicking are yeah. like getting really 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 worried about this yes it's concerning but not many people think that this is a calamitous event chuck uh give us uh give us the view from uh, the brahmins up in boston well i think you know let, let me take the the investors view the consumers view what's particularly scary about this being the first week of the year is that everyone was expecting a january effect and you mm-hmm. may still get one at the end of the month, but you're not, it's not going to feel like it regardless. So everybody kind of pencils it in. I mean, if you were talking to – if you didn't shut things down and you'd been talking to market experts at the end of the year, what they were saying was they expected trouble, but they sort of thought the market would be able to avoid it until you got to the middle or end of this month. Why? Because you'd have the January effect. So the only real surprise here is that it occurred so quickly and that it occurred at the start of the year. Whether or not we see any bounce, well, that's fine. But I don't make anything off of five days. I mean, I don't care what the day or the week or the month is. I don't think any of us are going to get to retirement, whenever that is, a decade or more ahead for, for, I think, everyone on this call at least, and say, wow, you know, that first week of January 2016, that's the reason why I have to work until I'm 70 instead of 65. I don't expect to ever retire. I just don't think that's in the cards for me. That's a subject for another day. That's another food fight. You know, what what I think is, you know, you, you said you think it's a continuation, Jack, and I think it is. And I think it is not only a continuation of what you saw in December, but if you start looking at the market, the equity market going back to last October of 2014, when the Fed shut off QE3, 
the S&P 500 has really gone nowhere since then. It had several months in the spring of 2014 where it just wasn't going anywhere and it looked okay. Then you had the sell-off in August. Then it came back. Then you, know, you had a lot of volatility. Now it's volatile again. The, the big stock market in the U.S. has been going nowhere for more than a year now. During that time, you have seen a lot of asset classes crater, crater commodities, high junk bonds most recently, emerging markets. All of this is about the fact that the Federal Reserve and all the central banks, but led by the Federal Reserve, flooded the capital markets around the globe with trillions of dollars of cheap money. And now the lead horse is changing direction on that. It started in it started in, in you know, the you know, look, they pushed everybody out on the yield curve, right? Everybody was reaching for yield. And now the most sensitive markets you saw react first. And now it's coming to U.S. stocks. So this to me is a function of what the Fed has been doing. They knew this was going to happen. They've been trying to manage it as best they can, which is why they're moving as slowly as possible. But they knew this was going to come. And look, you can't have seven years of zero percent rates and quantitative easing and all this money thrown out there and then expect that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll 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 sop it all up in two months and everything will be back to normal. You're going to have years of trying to normalize policy. That that's that's just what I think. I, it's a it's a great point, and that's really the overarching issue here for why what we're seeing. Uh, I think looking forward here. You really need to watch what's happening in the bond market to make a, a clear determination of you know how bad mm-hmm. any of this is happening in China or the global growth story or commodities or whatever. Uh, if you look in Europe, you know ten-year German bond yields are right around that 0.5 percent level. Um, you know the, the 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 lower maturities are negative. They're negative. Yeah, negative German yeah. debt. So, but watch those watch those ten-year ten years in in, uh, in Europe because I think that that's a key indicator there. If they keep go- they really haven't budged much this week, as you've seen stock markets sell off and yeah. and commodities drop. But those are are, are a key indicator. If if the bond market starts moving that way in the wrong way, yeah. uh, that that could be pretty uh, bad. Let's take one more break and then we'll come back. We've got a couple minutes on the other side, and we are going to talk Powerball. If only life had a remote control, you could pause or rewind. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Take us with you on the train, in the car, on your walk, at the gym. WSJ Podcasts, sound ideas for the digital age. Now, financial food fight. All right, honest fellas, who bought a Powerball ticket this week? Raise your hands if you bought a Powerball ticket this week. Nope. No. Nope. Definitely not. I am going to. But you didn't. Yeah. I didn't yet, no. Uh, I cracked at $500 million. Here are my numbers. I got them in front of me. They're losers, but, but and I'm going to go out tonight and buy more. Uh, at $500 million, I'm a sucker. Yeah. Well, I will tell you that I used to have a financial advisor who wrote a column for me. He writes occasionally for the journal, Alan Roth, and he wrote a column for me saying, and this by, I, I got to set it up by saying he is an indexer. He thinks that people who try to actively manage their money are playing against the casino and always losing, yeah. um, and he's a fairly conservative investor. He wrote this column that said, go out and buy the Powerball lottery ticket, and his reasoning is behavioral. He said, we all need to bet a little bit, and it's mm-hmm. why people make stupid mistakes in the market, but you got to let that release out occasionally so you spend a buck you dream about what you do with it and then you're responsible with your index funds and your wow, retirement account that's a pretty good idea yeah i'm chuck, gonna go chuck, buy one now yeah <laughs> uh chuck i know you've written about this a lot what's your take on it 
Well, I've never purchased a lottery ticket, largely because, you know, the chances that your ticket that you've purchased, Paul, is a loser is it's a 99.999-9966 chance of losing. Yeah, but that's everything in my life, Chuck. So your chance of winning is so small that I figure my chances of finding the winning ticket are pretty much as good as my chance of buying the winning ticket, so I'll keep my money in my pocket. I do, however, believe that the lottery serves for even people who are financially responsible, a pretty good purpose. And that is the ability to sort of play what-if games about it. Because if you thought, what would I do if I won the lottery? Okay, you've won an enormous amount of money, and you could start to think of everything that you would do. And then you could come down and say, okay, now let's say I didn't win $500 million. Let's say that, that I won $5 million, a million, $250,000, $50,000, And you start to get into amounts of money that you might make. It might be... Right a good spate of overtime, or it might be a bonus or something along those lines. It might be an inheritance. But suddenly you're looking at amounts of money that could be life-changing if you do the right thing. And I think there, playing what-if games and saying, what would I do, helps you set your priorities. And, yeah, I huh. love the entertainment value. But here's the question I have for you, Paul. And so wrap you it up bought, quick. You bought, you bought a ticket at $500 million. You say you're going to go buy more. Yeah. Do you get extra <laughs> entertainment value for the extra tickets? Because if you get the same entertainment value, then buying one ticket, I understand. In fact, if it gets past a billion, maybe I will buy a ticket. Or maybe I'll buy one of your tickets so I don't actually have to go buy one. Right. Uh, if you don't get more entertainment value, then it's a dead waste of money to buy your second. And so just buy one ticket. ticket. All right, so I'm buying one ticket. If I win the $800 million or a billion, whatever, uh, I'm hiring Tom Coughlin as my personal coach. And <laughs> that is where we're going to leave it, everyone. Thanks for joining us, Steve, Jack, Chuck. Thanks, everyone. Uh, have a good weekend. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.